if God does not perform the necessary heart surgery for us to live, there is no hope of ever entering into his kingdom. You are about to hear 17 and a half minutes of incredibly good news. Long before doctors were able to successfully open a human chest cavity and work on the heart, God had already said that he would do that for us, as we read this morning. Heart surgery was God's idea long before mankind ever dreamed up the concept. That's what we read in Deuteronomy where it says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Now here we find a reference to a religious idea of the physical process, that of circumcision. We know that circumcision is a physical surgery performed for religious reasons on a male baby. However, there are instances recorded in scripture where the surgery was performed on adult males. Just before the nation of Israel was to enter the promised land, all the males had to be circumcised because it had not been done during the 40 years that they were wandering in the wilderness. Abraham was circumcised when he was 99 years old. His first son, Ishmael, was circumcised when he was 13 years old. Simeon and Levi, sons of Jacob, defended their sister Dinah against Hamor and all the Hivites by tricking them into being circumcised. We read in Genesis 34, on the third day when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. This had happened because they had viol- the Hivites had violated the Dinah, their sister. And so in seeking revenge, they um, lied to them and said, if you'll be circumcised, we will join together. You'll be like us. You can have our lands, our properties, all that. And the Hivites believed them and were circumcised. Now, physical circumcision is a very painful procedure, but especially so for adult males. And the brothers used this against their enemies to trick them and then kill them in their weakness. However, the spiritual circumcision of which the Bible speaks in numerous places is not painful. This promise, which we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, should give us pause to consider some of the things we believe about salvation and how we avail ourselves of it. Notice that the Israelites were told the reason for the spiritual circumcision so that it was a circumcision of the heart and they were given that reason so that they would love God. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So when I read this, it brings up a question for me. Is it possible 
that God may have understood something here that humans didn't, maybe still don't. We try to tell people that they should give up their destructive lifestyle and turn to God. However, we find that that seldom works. People are not able to give up their way of life, and we blame it on addictive behavior. Could it be more likely that they need heart surgery? Is that a possibility? This occurred at, uh, in Deuteronomy. This is at the end of their wandering in the wilderness. But then centuries later, after failing to meet the Lord's conditions, which we read about many, many times in the history of Israel, Ezekiel tells the Israelites that God is going to help them obey. We read in Ezekiel 36, he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now this was spoken while they were in the Babylonian captivity for failing to obey the Lord and keeping the Sabbaths of the, the land. And notice that the promise is again that God would do what man was incapable of doing. A heart transplant. Evangelical Christianity is focused on the necessity of people who do not know the Lord to change their ways and make a decision for Jesus. However, we're shown in more than one place that this is simply not possible. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Plain statement that a person outside of the Lord cannot. More plainly stated in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now those two verses tell us plainly that a person who does not have the Spirit of God, that is, who has not been born again, regenerated or saved, whichever term you use, that person cannot possibly understand the things of God. Now, if it is God's requirement that these people must realize that they have offended a holy God, and repent of their sins, then somewhere we have an impossible situation here. There's a contradiction of concepts. Either they are able or they're not able. One or the other. And yet we're told that they are not able, and so why do we spend so much time trying to convince them? Now, before I take you to more verses showing God's design for us, let me try to dispel a couple of false concepts. There is no place in the Bible where we get the idea that Jesus is our personal Savior. There is no place in the Bible where we are told to accept Jesus. There's no place in the Bible where we are told to make a decision for Jesus. And there's no place in the Bible where we are told that we have offended a holy God, and if we do not say that we are sorry, he will send us to hell forever. Those things are just not there. Now, I posted those four things on Facebook earlier this week, 
And the one where I said, I, I posted them all together. And I said, there is no place in the Bible where we are told to make a decision for Jesus brought the most flack. I got clobbered on that one. A lot of people. And it's interesting. I have found over the course of years, any time there is the slightest suggestion that our free will is being challenged, people go ballistic. And that's what's there. If they have to make a decision, I'm saying there's no place where we're told that the concept of free will is being challenged. But these are all man-made concepts that are derived from a faulty logic applied to only a certain few verses of Scripture. What we are told, however, is that mankind is simply not able of his own free will to do any of those things. So let's look at some more verses before we begin to see what God has done. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now I'm going to do here what I said was done by others. I'm going to apply some logic. If we are dead, as Paul says we are, what can we do? What can we do to make ourselves alive? Can we resurrect or resuscitate ourselves? Can we make a decision for life? Obviously, the answer is no if we're dead. How then can we possibly obey any command to believe Jesus, believe on Jesus? We cannot do that until there's a change in our heartbeat. And it is God who makes that change. Because he goes on in Ephesians 2 and says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This verse gives us an explanation of who did what to whom for our salvation. We were dead, but God made us alive. That life is with Christ, and it is explained as being saved. Now, some will still insist that we must have faith in order to be saved, and of course that is true. However, even the faith to be saved is not within our power. So God gives us that also. Again, in Ephesians, further on down, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Both the grace and the faith and the salvation are the gift of God. There's nothing of our own effort involved in any of this. We're not able to muster the effort until God begins to work in us. So we cannot claim that we are smarter, better, more aware, or anything else in relation to our position in the kingdom of God. We cannot stand in a place of judgment over those who haven't chosen yet, thinking that it's their own stupidity, their own ignorance, or their own rebellion. None of that is true. It's simply because God hasn't touched them yet. Because it's all, every single bit of it, by the design and the work of God. Jesus said, no one can come to me 
unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus plainly states here that if the Father does not make the first move, no one can simply decide to follow Jesus. When you think of the places in the gospel where Jesus said, follow me, they did. But in the places where they tried to volunteer, they didn't. They're just not capable unless God moves first. Now, there are many verses which reveal this fact of God's initiative going before any aspect or any move on a person's part. And I'm going to show you just some of these verses quickly. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a holy priest, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. He moved on you. Now you can proclaim his goodness, his grace, his love, his mercy. James writes, of his own will, and he's referring to God, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It was God's will that brought us forth. John writes in his gospel that those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I highlighted it there so you can see the full sentence. Who were born of God. That's how we're born. It's not by a decision of the will. And neither is it the natural birth. And Paul writes, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It depends on God. And then again in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, there are many more verses than these few which I have shown you, and they all say the same thing. A human cannot approach God out of his own desire. And yet the emphasis that we have in evangelistic Christianity is from a logic applied to only a couple of verses. There is no plain statement along those lines. Yes, John 3.16 is powerful. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we take that word believes, whoever believes, and we decide that that must be a decision. But Paul said that it's from the heart that man believes. From the mind, when we believe, it doesn't stick. And we see that, we witness it over and over again in lives who have come forward, made a decision for Christ, and it didn't stick. A human simply cannot approach God out of his own desire. God must first initiate the relationship. So I'll remind you once again of how the Apostle Paul was brought into the things of God. We read in Galatians chapter 1 verses 13 through 16. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people 
So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul was on a full tilt boogie to destroy the new Christian church. Even though he had been called to serve the Lord from before he was born, God allowed it until the fullness of time. There was something in God's timetable that allowed Saul to persecute the church. And then God revealed his son to him and he became Paul. In the fullness of time, God revealed himself to you, to each of you, to me. And we began to take notice when he revealed himself to us. Now, saints, when the full revelation, revelation of this truth hits you, and you realize that you had nothing at all to do with your being saved by God, being loved by God, you will experience a humbling, followed by a sense of awe, followed by a deep questioning that says, why me? Why did he choose me? The fact of the matter is, he did. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation called unto God. Why? Because God is love, pure and simple.